If you are visiting with us this morning, my name is Ramon and it is so good to have you here with us. I'm excited for this morning because this morning's Vision Sunday and um, and to just put it bluntly, this morning I really get to to speak about what we think about all week. This morning I get to speak about things that are that are really, really dear to my heart personally. And I pray that as you've got involved in the life of this church, that these things would be important to you as well. Now, on Vision Sunday, we really just reassess, well, why do we as a church exist? Why does Bikers Church Midrand exist as a church? Now at National Rally, all our banners got stolen. Not really, we gave them away. But um, if you aren't aware of the, the vision of Bikers Church Midrand yet, it's to bring the unchurched into a lasting relationship with Jesus. That's the vision of this local church. And when we say bring the unchurched, this word unchurched has kind of become a bit popular over the last while. But in 1986, as this church was established, essentially this church was established because only church people could go to church. 1986. How many of you know that to be true? You had to look a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. You had to smell a certain way. You had to speak a certain way in order for you to be allowed into church. Fact. And essentially, this church was birthed out of the need to create a home for people who don't fit the church mold. And our heart has never changed. Our heart to this day is to be a space, to be a home for people to come and belong where they normally wouldn't feel comfortable within a church setting. That's still our heart. That's still our vision. That's still what gets us up every morning is to, to take the love of Jesus to, to people who very possibly really don't like church. I, I think it's a great idea having a church for people who don't like church. It excites me. So as I say this, this, this little phrase, you know, bring the unchurched. Whenever I think of that, I always think to myself, it makes me think that we're expecting guests, doesn't it? We're expecting guests because we're bringing people who don't normally like going to church, which means they probably aren't going to church. We're bringing them in to come to church. So we're expecting guests. But I don't know about you, gr growing up, our lives changed when, when, when we were expecting guests, man. Our house, I mean, it just changed. Do we have that video? We don't have that video, hey? No, we don't. <clears throat> when, when, when we were expecting guests growing up, my mom would pull out the plates that only came out when guests came. No one else was ever allowed to eat of them, only when guests came. Cutlery came out that never came out unless guests came. Sometimes food came out that only came out when guests came. I mean, in our house, we never had dessert. Dessert was like a foreign thing. It was from other countries. But when guests came, we got dessert. And then we'd also go and sit in this room. <laughs> it was the dining room <laughs> that we never sat in. 
Unless we had guests. We always sat around the kitchen table and ate together as a family. But when guests came, we used the dining room. Then after dinner, we'd go into another room that was never used unless we had guests, the lounge, which had the, the nice furniture. Not the one with the pizza stain. And we'd go and sit in this room and, and then all the nice coffee would come out. You know, all the, the nice cups and the mugs and the, the, again, the stuff that never got used unless it was guests. And then we didn't have instant coffee. No, the plunger came out. And we'd have real coffee. And then you'd know that we're having guests when these little chocolates came out, these wafer-thin, like, squarish chocolates came out called after-eights. How many of you know what after-eights are? So, so technically, I shouldn't know what an after-eight tastes like because after-eights weren't for kids. They were only for adults, and in particularly, they were really only for guests. But I know exactly what an after-eight tastes like because I stole several. And that's what happened when guests came. My mom and my dad and the family would get together and we'd put out our best. But every once in a while, something would happen. And I found it was always like late afternoon, this would generally happen, where people would show up uninvited. Like late afternoon, in, in our house, we had a rule. If the sun's up, the TV's off. That was the rule. I think it's a good rule. Parents? Sun's up, TV's off. So as the sun's going down, I'm like watching it like an egg timer. You know, like, come on, we're so close. Why? Because I want to watch my favorite show. And as the sun goes down, you, you get into your favorite show and the doorbell rings. And these people arrived that weren't invited. And quite honestly, it was actually a massive inconvenience. Because I really wanted to watch my favorite show. Or we'd be playing soccer in the backyard still in the afternoon. And, and, and it, it was exceptionally important for me back then. And now I've got to stop playing soccer. Why? Because we've got to welcome in these uninvited guests. And I find it amazing that, that these people never came for coffee. I mean, they came for coffee, but, but they never really came for coffee. They always came because they had a need. Because I grew up in a pastor's home. And growing up in a pastor's home, when people came, they generally came because they needed something. They needed prayer for something. They, 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 they may have had a, a broken relationship that, that they, they needed prayer for restoration. Or, or, or they, they were struggling with an illness and... And they needed prayer for healing or they, they were needing to make a big dis business decision somewhere along the line. And as a result, they needed prayer for guidance and for, for, for insight. And, but whenever they came, they, they, they had a need. And sometimes that need was just even a need for family, for belonging. And they felt like they could find it there. And I find it incredible how Scripture is full of uninvited guests. Scripture is full of uninvited guests. The, 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 the first 
uninvited guest that, that, that jumps to mind is, is this woman, the, the, the uninvited woman. <clears throat> and there's this moment where Jesus is meeting with, with a guy by the name of Simon, and, and he, was, he was called Simon the Pharisee. And essentially, that just meant that he, his name was Simon and he was a religious leader of the day. Maybe he led a, a part of a political party or whatever the case may be. But, but he was a pretty important guy in the town and Jesus would have been invited to his house. And as Jesus is spending time in his home, um, they're having a conversation. And, and in the middle of the story, this, this lady just walks in uninvited. How rude. She just walks into the space and not just does she walk into the space and like go sit in the corner. No, she comes straight into the conversation. She steps in and she brings this alabaster jar and it's filled with perfume. And essentially she comes and, and instead of firstly staying outside, no, she comes in and she doesn't even stay out of the conversation. She walks right up to Jesus and she starts pouring this perfume all over his head and all over him. uninvited but in that moment she she had her own need because uh, you see the word tells us that that she was a a how can i say this a lady of questionable reputation it's a church way of saying she was a prostitute she walks in and, and this is what she does and as she does this what she's doing is she's showing love and she's showing honor to jesus in that moment but she was still uninvited. The next uninvited guest that, that I can think of is uh, the uninvited lame man. There's this guy who, who was lame and he had four friends and, and Jesus was in their town and, and he was speaking in someone's house. He was busy visiting with people in their home and all these people had come to, to hear him speak. And it says that it got so full that people couldn't come in or leave. And, and, and as a result, these friends were so desperate, they climbed up onto the roof and they, they, they made a hole in the roof and they lowered Jesus down into, oh, not Jesus, the lame man. Thank you. Thank you. I hear you, brother. Bless you. They, they lower this lame man down right at the feet of Jesus. And as he lands at the feet of Jesus, we see this interaction happen. And the result of it all is that Jesus heals this uninvited lame man. The next uninvited person that I can think of is, is, is the, the uninvited baby, which was Moses as an infant. You see, Pharaoh had set out to kill all Hebrew boys two years and younger. And, and what happens is Moses' mom, she, she takes him and she puts him in a little basket and insulates it so it doesn't sink and she sends it down river and as she sends it down river Moses arrives uninvited into the space where Pharaoh's daughter is busy washing herself where she's busy bathing and 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 here this little baby arrives and and as Moses enters into that space uninvited the result of it is that his life is spared that there's protection for him and that he he gets brought into another family The next uninvited moment that I think of is, is this moment where, where Jesus walking through the streets, he sees this guy sitting in a tree and, and he looks up at him and he says to him, Zacchaeus, come down. 
because today I must have a meal with you in your home. He wasn't invited. He just invited himself. And Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. And as he invites himself into Zacchaeus' home, we see that through their interaction, something beautiful happens, something remarkable happens, something absolutely incredible happens. What happens is that Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus. And as he has this, this encounter with Jesus, the repercussions are so great in Zacchaeus' life that it says that he was a crook, he was a dishonest man. But in that moment, because of that encounter, Zacchaeus goes and, and, and repays everyone that he ever stole from, anyone that he ever swindled. He goes and he, he gives back what he, what he stole, what he took. And it says that he gave back with interest. And the response that Jesus gives in that moment is, Today, salvation has come to this house. And you see, in, in, in all of these different stories, just as in our house growing up, all these people would arrive with a need. In the same way, in all of these stories, these people came uninvited, but they had a need. Except Jesus, he came and, and, and he fulfilled that need. Now, now we're supposed to be his body here on earth. We are his church. That doesn't mean a building. That's an ecclesia. It means a gathering of people. A, a, a gathering of people that, that are living out the life of Christ through their own lives. And day in and day out, we should be interacting with people who have need. And I wonder, does our life, not because of who we are, but the Jesus in us, does that meet the need? Do we engage in order to be able to be a catalyst of change in someone's life? See, Jesus actually spoke into expecting guests. Talk about uninvited guests, we talk about guests. Jesus spoke into actually ex expecting guests. And, and, and there's this moment where he, where he tells a story. It's called a parable. And it's just, it's just the this, this, this story to essentially kind of illustrate a point. And in this, in this parable that he tells, it's in Luke uh, 14, verses 16 through 23. He said this. He tells the story this way. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. And I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Find it amazing. Everyone said, please excuse me. The dude who got married, he's like, dude, I can't come. <laughs> something in there. I'm sure there's something in there. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. His master was furious and said, 
go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Now, as I read the story, I mean, it's so rich with so much. But right at the top, we see an invitation go out. And if you read carefully, you pick up that actually two invitations went out. Because the custom of the day that Jesus is speaking into isn't actually all that different to our customs today. How many of you have received a save the date? Right, to save the date is something, it's, it's this thing, okay? We know we're getting married, we know what day we're getting married on, but we don't know, like, what time. We, we, we're still not sure what we want you to wear. We, we're not sure what we're going to eat, we don't actually know all the details, but we know it's on this day, and what we'd like, we'd like for you to join us, so will you please save the date, okay? That's essentially a save the date. Then later on, we send the pretty invitation with all the uh, details on. And, you know, it's at this time, please wear this. Please um, make sure that you leave these people at home and bring those. And, you know. All of that is, is then in the, in the actual invitation. <coughs> and what happens in the story here that Jesus is busy telling is that the guests in Jesus' story they actually insult their host by saying no to the second invitation after they'd already said yes to the save the date. So they'd already said yes to the first invitation, but somewhere along the line, when the next invitation comes along, they, they've got all sorts of excuses as to why they can't make it. And I can't help but think of us. I can't help but think, how often don't we have some form of an encounter with Jesus? Our own Zacchaeus moment. Where, where, we, where we recognize our need for redemption. We recognize our need for, 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 for who he is and, 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 and just the love that he pours out into our lives daily. And we, we have that moment and we say, Lord, please, man, I've messed this life up. Please come and, come and give me your best and take my absolute worst. And he says, with pleasure. But we respond to his initial invitation. And then somewhere along the line, we start getting busy. You see, because Jesus never sends one invitation. Jesus constantly invites us into relationship daily. Every morning when you open your eyes, there is an invitation for relationship with him. And somewhere along the line, we get busy. Somewhere along the line, we get distracted. And we start growing callous to this daily invitation. And somewhere along the line, as he invites us, we slip into the space of, oh, Lord, that would have been so good. Oh, man, that would have been so nice to have spent time with you today. But, you know, I've got this thing on. I've, I've, I've made these plans. You know, I've, I've bought oxen. Lord, help you. I've bought a field i got married praise jesus all these things have happened and as a result i'm just a little busy 
but I'll catch you next time. And we grow callous to this invitation. And the part that blows my mind is that we then start saying no to his daily invitation. But then when it comes to church, we somehow work up the audacity to say who is and isn't allowed to go through those doors. We then somehow feel like, like we are church bouncers and, and we get to check people at the door. No, you don't cut it. Stay out. And I don't believe for a minute that this is the heart of Jesus. In fact, in the story that we, 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 we read here, Jesus comes and through his parable, through the story, he comes and he changes everything. Because Jesus starts to invite the uninvited. Here's what he said. He said, quickly go into the streets. Who, guys, who hangs out on the streets? Everyday men, everyday women hang out in the streets. But he carries on. He says, and into the alleys of the town. <laughs> who hangs out in the alleys? All sorts of people. But specifically, homeless people. People without a sense of family, people without a sense of belonging, hang out in alleys. He says, go and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Now, if you've spent time just reading the teachings of Jesus, you'll know that, that, that he says something on the surface and it's real. But there's something that's just a little deeper. Not, not all that much deeper, just a little deeper that you kind of have to dig for. So I believe with all my heart, he meant people that are, 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 are poor in monetary value. I believe that he, that he meant people who are physically crippled, people who are physically blind, people who are physically lame. But then there's that other surface, that, 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 that other layer. And I believe that in that moment, he's also saying, invite in the people that are poor in spirit. People who haven't had that encounter with me, they've not had their Zacchaeus moment. People who, who, who don't know who I am in their lives and, and who I want to be and desire to be in their lives. Bring in the poor in spirit. Bring in the crippled. Bring, bring in the, the emotionally crippled. People who have, who have been hurt emotionally, been, been damaged through relationship, who've, who've really taken strain when it comes to their own personal emotion. Bring in the emotionally crippled. Bring in the blind. Bring in those who've been blind to who I am. Those who've been blind to who I desire to be in their lives and, and who are blind to what I am doing in their lives. Bring them in. Bring those who are lame with apathy, who couldn't really give a rip about figuring this out or, or, or searching for me or, or finding out who I really am, just kind of, you know, whatever happens today happens. Bring in those who are lame with apathy. And as he, he talks through this entire list, we see the servant return and, and, and the servant says, but there's still room for more. There's still room for more. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that when it comes to the family of God, there's still room for more. I believe when it comes to the family of God, there's always room 
for more. He says, go out into the country lanes. When I read this word country lanes, the, the thing that popped into my mind was, was go out, step out of your normal. Step out, step out of the spaces that you, that you regularly function in. Step out into places where you've never been before. Step out into spaces that, that you don't normally engage with and go and fetch those people. And then he says, so, so go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges. Let's stop there for a moment. Who on earth hangs out behind hedges? People who are up to no good hang out behind hedges. People who are dealing something, stealing something, or selling someone, that's who hangs out behind hedges. Robbers, muggers, dealers, pumps, prostitutes, that's who hangs out behind hedges. And he says, bring them. Bring them in. And I love this man. Oh, and then he says this, and urge anyone you find to come. Urge anyone you find to come. This word anyone is so non-discriminatory, I absolutely love it. Because you see, the heart of God isn't for one select group of people. The heart of God is for anyone. You, my friend, are an anyone. If you are here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, you know, I might be somewhere on that list. Um, forget it, man. You're in an anyone. And God's heart burns for you. God desires to have relationship with you. And he extends that invitation to anyone. It's us who discriminate. It's us who say, you're too black, you're too white, you're too orange, you speak too funny, you look too funny, you whatever. And as a result, we'll bounce you at the door. Rubbish, man. Anyone you find, urge them to come in. Why? So that my house may be full. So that this church may be full? No, so that the body of Christ may be full. So that the family of God may be full. Now that excites me. So our vision is to bring the unchurched into a lasting relationship with Jesus. I wonder, folks, do the unchurched feel welcome when they walk through these doors? I hope so. Here's what Peter said. Peter was just a friend of Jesus. And, and, and here's what he says in, in 1 Peter 4 verse 9. Peter said this. He said, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. I find this word hospitable amazing. Other translations say, show hospitality to one another. This word hospitality, if you go and look up the original word, it's a Greek word, word called philoxenos. And philoxenos is essentially two words put together, the first part being philos. Now, if you know anything about the different forms of love, you'll know the word phileo. And it's, a, it's, 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 it's the same word, philos and phileo, they connected. And what it means is, it means to show love for. 
to, to, to love as a friend, to love as, as a brother, to love as family. It's, it's a deep love between friends or family. That's essentially what philos means. And then the next part of that word is xenos. And, and xenos means outsider or stranger. It's where we get the word xenophobia from. The fear of the outsider or stranger. So hospitality means to have love for the outsider or the stranger. We could put it this way. To love outsiders and strangers as brothers. That's what Peter's saying. Remember right in the beginning we spoke about all the different uninvited guests? And how each of them actually had a need. How the woman with the alabaster jar, she, she was desperately needing a home. A place to be accepted. Not for her body, but for who she is. She came and poured out love and honor on Jesus. And there was the, uh, the lame man who was lowered to the feet of Jesus and, and he was in desperate need of healing. And then there was Moses who was adopted into, into, into Pharaoh's daughter's house and, and given protection and given family. And then there was Zacchaeus who desperately needed redemption just to know it, but came into contact with the source of redemption. You see, folks, when, when we start living out this love for the stranger and the outsider and loving them as brothers, that we, we take away the, the, the label of outsider, we take away the label of stranger, and it doesn't matter who enters into our space, that we love them as brothers. When we start living out that love, that love starts to create a space where healing can take place. That, that love creates a space where protection happens. That love starts to create a space where, where they feel desperately loved, where they start to feel like they're part of a family. They, 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 they gain that, that belonging. And as I'm saying this, they also gain out of their desperation that redemption. But as I'm talking through this list, just stop and think for yourself, didn't you need that somewhere along the line? Maybe you're in that space still and you're still saying, man, I, half that list I still need. Well, when we start displaying this love the way that Jesus said that we should love each other, he said, man, by only one thing will they know that you're mine. By the way that you love one another. Forget how you prophesy, forget how you heal, forget how any of these things happen. Man, if you love people, they will know that you are mine. And when we start to show the love that we received to the lives around us, man, you want to see a nation change? You want to see a nation change? Start loving each other that way. We start loving each other that way. We will see communities change because we will see families change because we will see relationships change. And as a result, we can see a nation change just by loving the way that Jesus has asked us to love each other, not as strangers, but as brothers. So as we engage 
with the so-called outsiders at work, possibly in our own families, in our social settings. This is their search, just as it's been your search for healing, for protection, for love, for acceptance, for family, for belonging, for redemption. And their desperate need is met through your invitation. Stop and think about that for a moment. It's going to pop up on the board there. Just think about this. The difference between someone's desperation and their redemption just might be your invitation. You engaging with them in a way that they've never been engaged with before. Not from a standpoint of condemnation, but from a standpoint of love. To be able to look past all the stuff as someone once had to look past all your stuff and see you through the eyes of Jesus and love you in the same way. The difference between someone's desperation and their redemption just might be your invitation. I wonder when last did you invite the uninvited? And then we've got to ask ourselves the question, you know, is the uninvited welcome? I pray they are. I can tell you from my side, from the church leadership side, they are welcome. You are welcome, just as we are welcome. Questions that we need to answer today. Are we expecting guests? Are we expecting guests? You may have picked up over the last little while, and I think for some of you it's been very strange. I don't blame you. From the worship leader to the service facilitator to whoever's spoken up here and shared the message, we've all got up and said, good morning, it's so good to have you here. For those of you who are visiting with us, my name is Ramon. And I think a lot of us may have felt, what's up with the self-importance? And it has nothing to do with self-importance. But if we're not expecting guests, we never have to introduce ourselves. But when we're expecting guests, it's rude not to introduce ourselves. We started changing certain things, certain ways that we do things, certain things on our premises. Why? Because we're expecting guests. Do we prepare for guests? I don't know about you, but growing up when those guest moments happened, you know, when, when all hell broke loose in the house, we got two hours! I saw a video clip this week, it was brilliant, of this mom walking through the house trying to get the house ready, and she's like, don't even make your bed, just throw it away, it's too late now! <laughs> I thought to myself, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> but growing up, 
when it came to preparing for guests, guess what? The kids had to get involved. It wasn't just mom and dad as the, as the leadership of the house who would, who would go and, and sort stuff out. Heck no. I didn't grow up in a house like that. I grew up in a house where, where when guests were coming, man, you had responsibilities. My boys, your bicycle in the driveway because it's going to get crushed. Get it out the driveway. Clean the, is your cricket bat lying in front of the front door? Get it out of there. Please, I need you to clean up this area. I need you. Folks, I want to ask this. Are we part of this family? So, so do we stop and just wait for the paid professionals to pick up the paper that we've just walked past? Because then we might not be expecting guests. But if we're expecting guests, we take ownership as a family. And I walk past this piece of paper. Oh my goodness, we're expecting guests. This shouldn't be here. Do we take personal ownership? Because you see, this church isn't my church. This church isn't the leadership's church. This church is God's church. And, and by the way, it's just a building. You are the church. I am the church. But yet in the space that we gather, we need to be good stewards of what God's placed in our hands. Are we expecting guests? Do we prepare for guests? But I think this is the most important question that we'll ask ourselves today. When guests leave, do they still feel like outsiders? Or do they feel like family? Because folks, out of everything I've said today, that's my heart. That no matter who walks through those doors, no matter what language they speak, no matter what tan they carry on their skin, that by the time people leave here on a Sunday, they feel like family. Why? Because I believe that that's God's heart for all of us. Ramon, that's fantastic. How do we practically apply this to our lives? Well, maybe it's time to invite someone. Maybe you've got someone at your work who no one really wants to engage with. And maybe that's just because that person's never actually been loved. And it's time for you to go and engage with that person. Maybe don't invite them to church in your first conversation. Maybe first visit with them. Gain some relational capital. Show them that you care for them as person and not just for them as a congregation member. As you engage with them, trust that the Holy Spirit inside of you communicates a message to them that makes them long for what you have inside of you. And then when you trust that the moment's right, invite them. Because the difference between their redemption and their desperation just might be your invitation. Invite them. Maybe you've invited someone and they didn't come. Another practical thing to do is other people have. And we have guests here today. Welcome them. I've never seen you before. Uh, it's, hi, my name's Ramon. So good to meet you. Is it your first time? No, I've been here since... January of 2013. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a guy. I don't pay attention. But welcome. Welcome, folks. Take it a step further. If they didn't come with someone, 
Would you like a cup of coffee? Would you like a cup of tea? Guys, we're great with coffee. Would you like a cup of tea? Have a seat. I'll go make for us. Sit down. Hey, so where are you from? Where's your family? Visit, engage. Not as strangers, but as brothers. And everything that I've just said might freak the heck out of you. Because you actually just don't like people, full stop. For those of you who know me well enough, you'll know that God had to change my heart because I didn't give a rip about people. I did not like people. The day God asked us to step into pastoring a church, I was like, Lord, you better do something about my heart because I don't like people. How can I pastor people if I don't even like them? And it was a very simple prayer. Lord, Give me your heart for your people. Will you allow me to love your people? (laughs) To love your people the way that you love your people. And I don't get it right all the time. But God's broken my heart for people. Maybe today that's where you're at. Maybe today that's step number one for you. Lord, will you break my heart for people? Lord, will you change my heart to love people the way that you have loved me? And as you're sitting there in your seats, the worship team is welcome to come back. As you're sitting there in your seats, you, you, you may be in that space where, where you've maybe been hurt by people and have no reason in your estimation to ever love people again. Here's what I want to say to you. That's not God's heart for your life. God doesn't want you to stay in a, in a space of brokenness, but he wants to come and bring healing and restoration. I believe that with all my heart. And this morning just may be that morning where God comes and heals that hurt from the past and turns your heart to loving people the way that he has shown love to you. And as I say, right there in your seat, we love you, brother. As, as you're sitting in your seat, I'm, I'm going to ask that you just do business with God right there. I'm not going to ask people forward because this is, a, this is a moment with you and God. And just the simplicity of just saying, Lord, it's right up there on the board for you. On the screen, Lord, please change my heart to love people the way that you have loved me. Simple prayer. But I believe that when we are sincere, God comes and meets us right where we're at. Lord, come and turn my heart to love people the way that you have loved me. And then take a couple of steps of faith beyond this. Start engaging with people 
as you haven't engaged with people for a while. Maybe try and find out more about their story than you wanting to give them your story. And as you engage with people, you might have to just be praying over and over, Lord, allow me to see this person through your eyes. Lord, allow me to see this person through your eyes. Lord, allow me to see this person through your eyes. Lord, give me your heart for your child. And as he does, maybe a point comes where you extend that invitation. Maybe the point comes when someone walks through these doors or onto this premises or into your office or in your workspace and and you just welcome them. Maybe, Maybe the point comes where you start a visit with them. And what I find amazing is that in those moments, God will use you and he'll use me to be a catalyst of change in someone's story. What an incredible moment. Father God, I thank you that as we've just spoken around things that I believe are burning on your heart, Lord. Lord, that at the core of it all is for us to love you and for us to love people. So Lord, I thank you that this morning you take hard hearts, you take hurting hearts, Lord. You bring healing, you bring softening, Lord, and that you turn hearts toward you, Lord. Father God, that you take our hearts where we may not want to engage, where we may not love, where we may not like. And Father God, you start changing our hearts, Lord, to start loving people the way that you have loved us. Only you can do that work, Lord. Lord, we commit these lives into your hands, Lord. And I pray this over this church. Lord, I pray that this church will be a place where the unloved, and the previously unwelcomed would find a home. Would find a place where they are loved, where they are welcomed, not as strangers, but as family. And we commit this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.